Welcome to the 1-0 Podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The 1-0 Podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy Podcast channel. And today, we will discuss the end, maybe, of the 1-0 Culture LLC slash Tom Herman era at, uh, at the University of Texas, and the change from Tom Herman to Sar- Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, background on the hire, what we like about Coach Sarkeesian, what we dislike about Coach Sarkeesian, and then getting more more in-depth into Steve Sarkeesian, his staff hires, and what we expect to see from him at Texas. Listen to both our show and the Everyone Gets a Trophy show hosted by Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. Subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review and let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. If you'd like to contact us directly, send us emails at everyone gets a trophy with the number one at gmail.com. That's everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And of course, the one and no podcast would not be possible without the following sponsors. Audio visual consultations. Give them a call. 512-255-8678 to get the home TV setup of your dreams. We're in the midst of a pretty cool sports calendar right now. You've got the college football championship coming up. You've got the NFL playoffs here. The NBA in full swing. Hockey's about to get up and running. Baseball right around the corner. you got to get that TV setup done the right way by the professionals at AV Consultations. And the 1-0 podcast is also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer. Yeah, mentioned all the sports that are happening early in 2021. You need a great beer to accompany all of your sports watching in the new year. Make it a New Year's resolution to drink a better tasting, cleaner local beer. You can do that with Altstadt Beer. It's the official beer of the One and O podcast. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. So, uh, like I alluded to, Mr. One and O did not go one and O enough to hold on to his job. <laughs> uh, last, what was it? Last week? Yeah, this uh, on on the second. Uh, Tom Herman was dismissed as Texas's head coach, and within a few hours, Alabama offensive coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian was was announced as his, as his replacement, and it's kind of interesting, Brad. This is the second straight uh, Texas head coaching search that was officially limited to just one day. Uh, I remember when Tom Ehrman replaced Charlie Strong. I think Charlie Strong was fired at about I don't know eight a.m., nine a.m., maybe something like that. And uh, the press conference for Tom Herman was announced, you know, later that afternoon. So this is uh, Texas. They they don't like making moves until they have their their guy buttoned up. Uh, this is something that seems to be institutional at this point because that predates this Chris Del Conte, uh, and it led them to Steve Sarkeesian. And I think you know obviously at Inside Texas, Steve Sarkeesian was a name that we hear, started to hear a little bit more and more, you know, as it got closer to him being announced. I think in that Monday uh, before. Um, we the, the move took place, or maybe even the Friday, either in the scoop or the humidor at Inside Texas. We mentioned this is starting to get a little bit more real, and eventually, you know, as it happens, I was on the golf course. I was playing Lions that Saturday morning uh, when you know when I got a call that said you should probably get home, <laughs> and uh, I got home as quick as I could. Uh, even had to, you know, the the word that. Tom Herman got fired was uh, going out right as I basically pulled in my driveway. And then it was, you know, manning the battle stations from there. But, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is a guy that I, I think I may have told this to you. I know I've told it to some other people. 
I'm a big fan of it uh, so long as some certain boxes are checked. And we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, but, you know, this was a guy that didn't seem to be within, you know, if you wanted to give it a nice round number at top five, probably wasn't in a lot of people's top five lists and then ended up becoming the guy. Man, so you didn't even finish your round at Muni, at Lions Muni? You just left mid-round and went I home was, and started working? I, I was I was pulled off of 12 T, and it was oh. probably a good thing because I'm not good at golf, but this was <laughs> this was a significantly bad round even for me. Oh, man, you and me both. That's uh, one of my New Year's resolutions is to try to figure out how to actually play golf. But, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the similarities to the Tom Herman hire back in 2017, or I guess the end of 2016 is when it officially went down. He started in the 2017 season. But yeah, I mean, it was the same day, right? Charlie Strong got fired that morning. Tom Herman got hired that afternoon. But everyone and their mother knew that Tom Herman was going to be the guy, right? I mean, he had been linked to Texas really throughout the entirety of the 2016 season, uh, but especially over the couple of weeks leading up to the change at the top. You obviously had the LSU rumors too, right? LSU wanted to hire Tom Herman as its next head football coach at the time, and Texas was sort of in a race against LSU, right? If Texas didn't make the move swiftly, then Tom Herman would have gone to LSU, and my goodness, how different would the college football landscape be if that happened? Ed O never would have gotten the job at LSU. You don't have the 2019 National Championship team at LSU, most likely, and Texas doesn't end up with Tom Herman. So, We don't need to get into that, but uh, what a chain reaction of events that could have been. But everybody knew Tom Herman was going to be the guy, Joe. And the Steve Sarkeesian news, you talked about you guys at Inside Texas. You know, it kind of came to y'all late, but you guys are more in tune than 99.9% of Longhorn Nation out there. So for the vast majority of Texas fans, I think a lot of us were shocked on Saturday morning. Not that Tom Herman was relieved of his duties, although there were a lot of people, kind of based on what Chris Del Conte said a few weeks ago and the lack of news that we had heard in terms of a coaching search, there were a lot of people uh, who, who thought Tom Herman would be back next year. But the Steve Sarkeesian news, I think, caught the vast majority of Texas fans by surprise. I mean, it it felt like this thing went from zero to 100 really, really quickly. Yeah, and luckily at Inside Texas, we had maintained, we knew Tom Herman was not going to come back. We mm-hmm. had maintained that basically since October, even through the statement. And we, we believe that, you know, despite everything going on, uh, despite, hey, Bijan Robinson showing up and having a game in the Alamo Bowl, that Tom Herman was not going to be the coach in 2021. And I think that, you know, if they really wanted to, in that original statement that they released back in December, say that Tom Herman is our coach in 2021. And I don't mean going through other outlets and having to clarify your original statement. Uh, If they wanted to let people know that Tom Herman was going to be back in 2021, they would have said it explicitly, Mm -hmm. explicitly the first time. Uh, And I think that that statement back in in December kind of showed that, you know, this is kind of a touch and go situation. It's not a for sure you know, it's also hard to bring back Tom Herman after you made a pretty public uh, run at Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think it would have been a tenable situation. I don't think it would have continued to be a tenable situation, you know, even if you give Tom Herman that chance of, you know, well, what are you going to try and do this upcoming year? You don't want to end up with a less mild situation. And although Ed Ogeron has delivered a national championship to LSU, they got left in the cold, and that program is in some off-the-field mud that they may not be able to get out of 
uh, like they seem to do all the time. And then Ed Ogeron, you know, despite that ring, is starting to make those moves that we saw Tom Herman make about around this time last year. So we maintain, you know, all that's to show that Tom Herman coming back was never going to be a sustainable move uh, and that, you know, the, the, it all fell to uh, Chris Del Conte, uh, Kevin Eltife, chairman of the Board of Regents, and Jay Hartzell, the president of UT. And both, everybody's been pretty tight-lipped on how the process went down. Uh, it's kind of, you know, state institutions have those weird rules where uh, it's hard to really put a job offer on the table to anybody when that job is still occupied. But uh, I believe they said that they reached out to Steve Sarkeesian uh, yet again after the Crimson Tide took down uh, took down the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And uh, in pretty short order, you know, they had to have met in person because we've seen that picture of that entire group and yeah. Steve Sarkeesian's family together. So they had to have met in person and conducted some sort of an interview. Uh, and then once they basically had everything uh, – you know, ready, set. All they needed to do was press go, and, and they did that Saturday Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it seems like there was a, definitely reason for concern throughout the process. You know, it was kind of wondering who's in charge here, who's the guy going to be making the call. And I think this is a point that's been made by others, but I, I kind of agree with it. You know, Eltife, Hartzell, and El Conte, all stamp their name on it. And that I don't think that means that, you know, the job was, you know, of searching for Texas next head coach was totally usurped from Chris Del Conte. Uh, but I think what that does mean is that he had a lot of help and he had a lot of people who were making sure that they wanted to put their name down by this hire. And, and I think that, that that was definitely intentional. Yeah, no, that's well said. And kind of taking a look back at the timeline of events, how this all unfolded. And I'll give you all at Inside Texas a lot of credit for, you know, maintaining the stance that, no, despite that CDC statement, Texas is going to make a move at head coach. Because a lot of other outlets out there said that, no, 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 no. CDC means that Tom Herman's going to be back in 2021. You know, when I initially saw that statement, even before I read what you guys had written down at Inside Texas, but when I saw that statement from Chris Del Conte back, Back on December 12th, I was like, man, this seems so half-assed. This seems so vague. <laughs> Chris Del Conte didn't even mention Tom Herman's first name in the statement. He just said, I want to reiterate that Herman is our coach. He didn't say Coach Herman. He didn't say Tom Herman. It just felt disrespectful. And then, of course, the whole second paragraph of the two-paragraph statement talked about how the team completely underperformed and underachieved this year. So it didn't feel like a lot, but I think it was, and you guys reported this, You know that happened four days before the early National Signing Day. And that was just a message to the recruits like, hey, you know, Tom Herman's going to be your coach. You don't have to worry about that. Things are stable here. Things are fine. You know how uh, you've got that meme with the dog in a room full of fire and it's this is fine? Like that's kind of the statement from Chris Del Conte and based off the timing of that statement. But because of everything that went down with Tom Herman from the lack of success on the field – Obviously, the back-to-back losses in October to TCU and Oklahoma, the whole Eyes of Texas situation, which, dude, I mean, for a lot of Longhorn fans and a lot of big-money donors mainly, that was kind of the dagger there. I mean, you could make the case that Tom Herman's career in Austin really ended after that Oklahoma game and what took place on the field in Dallas. But I think the real dagger also was the loss to Iowa State. 
which uh, obviously sealed the deal for Texas not making it to the Big 12 Conference Championship game. But, yeah, I mean, it always felt like there was a chance, a good chance, that Tom Herman was not going to be brought back, and Texas had its pipe dream candidates. Obviously, Urban Meyer was the guy, but Urban Meyer, it was December 6th when he said that he, or the reports came out that he said he was not going to take the job. So once that thing went down, obviously Texas had to scramble and search for a plan B, and You know, it felt like to me, Joe, Sark was the best realistic candidate out there. Now, as Texas and as Texas fans, you know, we think we can get the best of the best, right? Like, ah, realistic. Now, realistic for us is different than realistic for anybody else, right? Like, we can convince Brian Kelly to leave another blue blood to come here. Hell, we could pay Dabo Sweeney enough money. To, to leave Clemson, what he's built there, and come to Texas. We can go get Kyle Shanahan from the San Francisco 49ers because he's a lifetime long... Like, all of those would have been great for sure, and those really would have excited everybody in Longhorn Nation. But in terms of, like, the best realistic candidate out there, I think Steve Sarkeesian is uh, is the number one guy and, and a really good choice for Texas. Yeah, and, you know, this will go back to what uh, Paul Waddington of Scipio, Texas, said over and over and over and over and wrote about even on Inside Texas, is that you need to hire traits. And I think that they that's something I agree with. Yeah, you definitely do want to hire a resume as well because those traits will reflect in that resume. Uh, but, you know, you're looking at traits. And this is something I wrote about on Inside Texas today on Friday. This is a significant, almost monumental shift in hiring strategy. Uh, the last time the Longhorns hired an assistant coach of any type uh, was back in the 1950s. Uh, it was, you know, right before Daryl Royal, uh, I believe it was Ed Price. Uh, yeah, Ed Price in 1951. Mm-hmm. That's the last time Texas hired an assistant coach. And the last time they hired an assistant coach that wasn't an internal hire was way back in 19. 19- Oh, oh, three. So Texas doesn't hire guys who either weren't in the family, uh, looking at, you know, somebody like Fred Akers, uh, even David McWilliams, who, yes, had head coaching experience, but kind of went somewhere for one year just so they could check off that box and say, guys, we have head coaching experience. Um, they were hired because they were, uh, you know, from, from that royal uh, tree, I guess you could say. So this is a significant change. You know, just looking back at those last seven, Daryl Royal is at Washington, Fred Akers, Wyoming, David Williams, Texas Tech, John McEvick, Illinois, Mac Brown, North Carolina, Charlie Strong was at Louisville, Tom Herman was at Houston. So all those guys were sitting head coaches. And although Steve Sarkeesian had past experience as a sitting head coach, both at Washington and a brief stint at USC, um, you know, he's right now an assistant. And, you know, you like to see track records. You like to see resume. You like to see, uh, you know, stuff that you think you know will translate. Um, that there, There's a lot of positive there. I think anybody can watch Alabama's offense over these past two years, both with Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Najee Harris, all, all the stars that they have, Heisman winner Devontae Smith, and know, yes, talent gets you to a certain point. But you have to put that talent in the right position, and Steve Sarkeesian's done that pretty darn well uh, over these past few years. So um, I, I think that, yeah, it, it's definitely kind of a risky – risky in some senses. There's no – it's not like you mentioned. It's not the Urban Meyer slam dunk. It's not the Brian Kelly slam dunk. 
But when you're looking at those traits, especially when you're entering a conference of offense, there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, there's still stuff to be concerned about, but there's a lot to look forward to. And it's kind of a, a, a promise instead of, you know, kind of a fait accompli of, oh boy, Herman's hiring all his friends from Houston to come with him to Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, Tom Herman and Charlie Strong, neither of those guys, although they were head coaches at the time of taking the Texas job, they didn't have the resume or the skins on the wall that Steve Sarkeesian had, and they didn't have the Rolodex that Sark has, right? From working at Alabama, from working at USC, from working at Washington, from working with the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL as well. So that's uh, that's a trait. I don't know if that's technically a trait of Steve Sarkeesian, but that's kind of something he brings to the table, which I think should excite Longhorn fans, is however this coaching staff fills out, we'll get to some of the rumors and some of the names that we've been hearing this week, but however it fills out, uh, those guys have coached at prominent programs before and or they've coached at the NFL level before, which I think that has to be exciting for recruits, right? I mean, if you come to a place like Texas, yeah, you want to win games, you want to win championships, but I think the number one goal for most guys who suit up for UT or any blue blood type of program in college football, you want to play on Sundays, right? You want to be developed into Mm -hmm. an NFL player to where you can do this for a living and make millions of dollars and take care of future generations of your family. And if you get coaches who have worked in the NFL, like they know what it takes to be there. And if you get coaches who have coached at Alabama, they know what it takes and how it takes or how you have to develop guys to get them to that NFL level. So that should be super exciting as well. Uh, You know, everybody always asks, and it's a fair question, right? And we're not going to know the answer to this until Steve Sarkeesian gets here and until the Longhorns take the field in September against Louisiana to open up the 2021 season. But how much credit does Sark get for what's happened at Alabama the last two years? I mean, their offense has been incredible, right? I mean, they had the Heisman winner this year. They had three of the top five Heisman candidates this year. They won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in football. They pretty much won every damn college football award that there is. And obviously, they're playing for a national championship here in a couple of days. They've had the two best scoring offenses in Alabama history, which obviously there's a lot of that. Uh, They had the most efficient offense in college football history this year, even more efficient than what LSU and Joe Burrow did last year. Like, that part of the resume for Sark looks pretty damn good, Joe, but there are a lot of Longhorn fans who are like, well, that's Nick Saban, man. I mean, Nick Saban's been there for a decade and a half, and they've always won championships, and they've always had Heisman finalists, and they've always done this type of stuff. So I think that's the biggest question in terms of like what Sark is actually going to do here is, well, how much credit does he deserve for what's happened there the last couple of years, and how much of that is just the machine that Nick Saban has rolling in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, that, that's an extremely fair question. Uh, it's yeah, it's part of the machine. Um, and that's that's kind of my big question as far as recruiting. Uh, he's only recruited at machines, or, or a large part of his professional career has been recruiting at machines. Pete Carroll, USC, that's a machine. Washington wasn't, but he's got evidence of building that up, not to anything spectacular, but building it to respectable from 0-12. He only had one full recruiting class, while at USC. It was the number two ranked class in the country and had prospects like uh, Ronald Jones and, and Sam Darnold in it. Mm-hmm. And I think he, maybe a Dory Jackson might have been in that class too. So there's, there's plenty of evidence that he can do a lot of this stuff. It's the only question is, can he do it at a place that's not currently a machine 
I think we all saw, you know, at least in our lifetime, Texas has the ability to get there, but they're not there right now. So it's going to be up to him to kind of pull a wa- kind of pull a Washington and then get it to a USC Bama as here at Texas. Another thing, you know, kind of interesting about that Nick Saban angle that you're talking about, when you look at guys like, I mean, the, the two most uh, obvious cases kind of at this point are Jeremy Pruitt, uh, you know, Kirby Smart. Uh, I guess you could even kind of throw Will Muschamp into that category uh, as former Saban guys. But those are former Saban guys who stay in the SEC and have to always, you know, recruit against him, a lot of times play against him. Tennessee, that's their cross-divisional matchup. Uh, I mean, heck, even Jimbo Fisher, you know, he, he's, he's a, a, a Saban guy. Uh, you have to go against him in multiple senses year after year after year. Mm-hmm. Now, it does turn out that Alabama is going to be on Texas' schedule uh, in the next couple of years. So uh, that old, you know, Saban versus former oh, yeah. record, Texas is going to be able to put that to the test. <laughs> Sarkeesian is going to be able to put that to the test. Um, but I, there is a small distinction here in that, you know, Alabama is not in the Big 12. And Steve Sarkeesian is bringing, you know, the offense that has dominated the SEC. He's bringing those schematics and hopefully those principles to the Big 12. So I think there's a little distinction there. It's kind of – it's a little bit undone just by the way the schedule is going to be worked here in, in these next couple of years. Uh, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is going to be able to show, you know, <laughs> thanks to the uh, – you know, the, the Louisiana-Texas border a little bit, there's going to be, well, I guess not since uh, thanks to Highway 6 as kind of a dividing line, hmm. uh, there's going to be a little bit of, of room between him and Nick Saban for him to be able to show that it's his show and not totally a, a Saban-led ordeal. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm big on Sark, man. I'm, I'm not going to guarantee that this thing is going to work, right? This thing is not a surefire hire. You know, Urban Meyer, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of most Longhorn fans, would have been a sure thing. Like, Texas is going to be back to where Texas needs to be. But I feel pretty good about Sark, man. I, I think he's an elite offensive mind. We've kind of gotten into it on the, on the radio show this week on how good of an offensive mind Sark is. But, dude, he's been regarded as a great offensive mind for a long time. Like, this is not just me looking at what he's done with a bunch of five stars at Alabama's for the last two years and saying, oh, that guy's elite, that guy's incredible, hey, he knows what he's doing, he's one of the best in the game. No, I mean, this guy was Sean McVay before Sean McVay, Joe. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian mm-hmm. got offered the head coaching job of the Oakland Raiders at 32 years old. Now, yeah, that was Al Davis being crazy Al Davis towards the end of his life, but still, like, that's pretty damn impressive. And then he got the head job at Washington at the age of 33, and he did great things at Washington, right? They were 0-12 the year before he got there. They won five games in year one and then made a bowl game in each of the next four seasons, and they got better as things progressed. Then at the age of 38, he gets the head job at USC, and he had a pretty good first year at USC, 9-4. and four. Now we know how things unraveled there. But my point is, like, this guy has been regarded as one of the best offensive minds, or at least one of the really, really good offensive minds in all of football for a decade now. So I understand having questions about, well, how much credit does Sark get? 
no, it's Saban. Saban's been recruiting all of these guys, and there's five stars here and five stars there, and how hard is it really to coach when you've got all of those guys at your disposal? This is not just a one-off for Sark being regarded as a, a great offensive mind. This guy has a proven track record of developing quarterbacks and having really, really good offenses, and I think he's got even better over the last couple of years at Alabama. So I, that should excite you. And, and the team you're trying to beat, Joe, is obviously Oklahoma, right? I mean, that's that's step yes. number one for Texas. Of course, you want to win national championships. You want to make playoffs. That's all fine and dandy. But you got to win the damn Big 12. I mean, you got to stop Oklahoma's reign atop this league, and you've got to win your first damn conference title since 2009. Look, Oklahoma, it's a little bit of an apples-to-oranges comparison because Lincoln Riley was already on the staff as the offensive coordinator when he got the head job following Bob Stoops up there. But Oklahoma, they hired the best offensive coordinator in the country after Bob Stoops. And since then, they've won four conference championships and they played in two college football playoffs, right? They've had a couple of Heisman winners too. Texas is hiring the best offensive coordinator in the country right now. And I'm perfectly fine with that. You need a guy who can match wits with Lincoln Riley. You need a guy that can create an offense that can score with Oklahoma. That might not happen in year one, but I think Sark has the potential to be that guy who can go blow for blow with Lincoln Riley. And so I guess that can kind of lead into a point about the staff. We'll get into names eventually because I think there's one more point I want to get to before we go into names. But that kind of leads to a point about the importance of staff and the importance you know, of putting a program in a proper place to succeed. You know, you mentioned Lincoln Riley. And what was it, 2017, I think? Yeah, the, the June, uh, late spring of 2017 – when they made that move, when Bob Stoops stepped down, Lincoln Riley stuck up, stepped up, took over control of the program. Here's the thing that helped Lincoln Riley a lot in that he's starting to show that he's adept at. He had Bob Stoops' staff pretty much stay intact when he took over. And Bob Stoops had been coaching, you know, at least, he's from the Stoops family, a well-known college coaching family. Uh, he had been at Florida. He had been all over the place. This is a guy who had connections, who had success in the Big 12, already had Heisman winners in the Big 12 at that point. And so guys are going to want to come coach for that guy. And Lincoln Riley was handed control of that program, put in a great place to succeed. And I think as we've seen with guys like DeMarco Murray, guys like even Alex Grinch, he is you know, has an aptitude for making good staff hires. Of course, there's a strong, strong athletic department there with a strong athletic director, but he's shown an aptitude for making good staff hires. Now, Steve Sarkeesian, he's not walking into that pre-built, you know, the the car with everything that you're handed the keys, uh, I guess maybe for an easier term, you know, you can get, you can be handed a Alienware computer, you know, a pre-built gaming computer like uh, Lincoln Riley kind of was, or you can be like Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, have to kind of build it from scratch, but know which parts are going to work out well and, and which parts need to go well. So, um, you know, I, I think that staff building is going to be a huge factor in seeing how Steve Sarkeesian is able to translate his Alabama offensive coordinator success to Texas head coaching success. And I think that, uh, you know, it, that's that's one of the key things that we're watching as we watch with any single coaching search. Are there any more, you know, positives you want to touch on or do you want to get into the stuff that, you know, let's let's start on the field, 
stuff that may give you pause on the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I want to encourage people. I know your cohort, Ian Boyd, has done a great job of putting together, like, game plans, like strategies that Steve Sarkeesian has implemented at Alabama over the last couple of years that hopefully he brings to Texas, right? I don't see any reason why he wouldn't bring that to Texas, considering his offenses have been the best in the country pretty much the last couple of years. But I'd encourage people to check that out. I don't want to bore people with X's and O's, but it's fascinating just some of the concepts that Steve Sarkeesian brings to his offenses. And I know Texas right now doesn't have the talent that Alabama does at the skill position players, but, man, there are some talented players on this roster. And let's not forget, before 2020, uh, 24-7 Sports ranked all of the college football rosters in the country in terms of talent, like recruiting talent, and Texas was number five in the country. Yeah, they're going to lose some of those guys. They've got to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. There are some questions, no doubt about that, but there are still some talented skill position players. B. John Robinson obviously comes to mind. You think of Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith on the outside, Joshua Moore on the outside as well. Like the idea of... What Sark does on offense with some of the talent that Texas has and hopefully the recruiting talent that Texas is able to pick up over the next few years, I think uh, that should be the number one thing that excites you the most if you're a Texas fan and the quarterbacks, right? We brought that up earlier, but if you look at the quarterbacks that Sark has worked with in the past, it's a pretty damn good list of names going back to Washington and through USC and obviously what he's done the last few years at Alabama uh, that type of stuff, look, uh, this is a conference that's predicated on scoring points, and Steve Sarkeesian's going to find ways to score points here. Yeah, exactly. So um, we can move kind of into some of the, you know, you know the, the cons, I guess, of the hire. And one, you know, I think you can kind of tie it back to that original point I'm making is this is a guy who hasn't been a head coach in, this will be, what, six years? Mm-hmm. And I know that the NFL – is, you know, it, it, it's a crucible. Uh, and although the Falcons may be the punchline of some jokes, especially since he took over right after that uh, Super Bowl season, you know, it's it's still the NFL. They, they still expect a lot. Offensive coordinator. Um, returned to Alabama. He was named offensive coordinator again, kind of a, you know, a perfect step in after Lane Kiffin. Uh, actually, no, uh, this, that was a different occasion because Brian Dabble, uh, the guy, the guy who is man, Saban puts them together, don't they? Brian oh, Apple, the guy up in Buffalo right now, helping Josh Allen to a career year. Uh, so he succeeded Brian Dabble and uh, you know helped Tua Tagovailoa uh, achieve great things, and has helped Mac Jones achieve great things. But he's not calling the shots, and I don't think that one game as Nick Saban stands in. In this crazy season, you know, it's a nice little feather to have in your cap, but it's a really little feather, and it doesn't really mean a whole lot uh, to this. So that's that's one concern, is that this is a guy who, you know, 2015 kind of was, uh, you know, actually, basically ever since we kind of graduated, we've seen how the arms race has escalated. You know, you and I graduated in 2016. We've seen how the arms race has escalated, and it kind of started escalating with Nick Saban himself, even before we graduated, probably in those years when we were in school, yep. Alabama ex- uh, escalated it all first. Uh, Clemson seemed to follow, and then uh, you know some of the other schools around the country—LSU, Oregon, Georgia, even uh, Notre Dame—to a certain extent, they've kind of escalated in the arms race. And Steve Sarkeesian has never captained that ship. He's been a part of it. Uh, he's he's seen it all up close. Uh, he's never managed it, ma- managed it 
you know, at least in these past five years. So that's, that's one thing I'm, I'm, I'm trying to watch and see is, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was a young head coach uh, back in 2014 and 2015. He's still going to be a pretty young head coach here in 2021. How has he matured and how is he better able, you know, in the on-field sense to run a program? It's something we don't have a lot of track record of, and that's because you're hiring a coordinator. Uh, doesn't mean it's a negative, but it's definitely something to to watch or to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. We had uh, a caller during one of the post-game shows this year, and he said Texas hired Tom Herman five years too early. Like, there's a belief out there, at least by this guy, and I kind of believe it too, that Tom Herman, there's a good head coach somewhere within Tom Herman, but he just wasn't ready for this Texas job, right? Like, he thought he was. Obviously, Texas thought he was, but he'd only been a head coach for two years, and he was pretty young, right, in his early 40s, and it just didn't feel like the timing was quite right, easy to say, in hindsight. I mean, when Tom Herman was hired, I thought it would work, but that's a conversation for a different day. Like, the belief, or at least the hope is, if you're a Texas fan, is that the timing is right for Sark. Like, when USC hired him in 2014, then, like, that was five years too early. You know, he was young, he was in his late 30s, he was a little bit immature. Uh, Obviously, we found out he was dealing with some uh, off-the-field issues as well, and the hope is that, okay, now he's ready for this moment, right? Partially going through Nick Saban's revamping, rebuilding process for head coaches. Uh, And also, I mean, Sark's been able, by all accounts, to get his life cleaned up and turned around and look he was kind of humiliated with what happened at USC I mean that was a low low moment for Steve Sarkeesian and and his family and his life was kind of falling apart at that time and I give him all the credit in the world for being able to turn things around and obviously get put into this position to get this opportunity but that is you know if you're a Texas fan that's all we have to look back at right the only time Steve Sarkeesian has been a head coach at a program comparable to Texas things did not work out very well and that was obviously the year and a half tenure a year and a half long tenure at USC. So I talked about it a lot earlier this week. Sark deserves a second chance. I think everyone deserves a second chance. And he's worked his ass off to get to this moment. And I think he has earned this opportunity to coach at Texas. But like I said before, Joe, it's not a sure thing. This is not a sure thing. This is not bringing in Urban Meyer. This is not bringing in Dabo Sweeney. This is not bringing in Nick Saban or Brian Kelly, like a guy that you've seen coach a blue blood program to college football playoffs and national championships. Like we, we don't have that. So if you're a little skeptical, if you're a little hesitant to buy in, I totally understand because hey, he's been a coordinator the last couple of years. And once again, uh, as a head coach, he has never gotten to the level that Texas has hired him to get to. So that kind of brings it, to my belief, and I think we can kind of fully jump into that, you know, off-field elephant in the room topic a little bit, is that I went in after it kind of became clear that Urban Meyer wasn't going to be the guy, I started thinking, okay, who, 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 should, who should I prefer? Who, who of these options would be most preferable? Uh, Jim Harbaugh, unfortunately, is not coming, and I say that mostly tongue-in-cheek. I like the character Jim Harbaugh more than I like the coach, Jim Harbaugh. So uh, if it wasn't going to be Urban Meyer, I always ke- I kept having this thought. You know, if Sark has every on-field box checked, which I kind of thought he did or was close to it, there's no perfect candidate. Everybody's going to have some issues. So if he had as many box checked on-field as possible and he had the off-field box checked, 
I didn't really see, you know, I, I was like, what, what's, what's this guy missing? It, it's literally just that off-field box. And I completely understand with the millions and millions and millions of dollars and, you know, so many, so, so many things at stake, why you'd want to make sure that that's, you know, assured. You want, you want to know what's going on there. And the thing that I keep going back to in that regard, and I think what you said is 100% correct too, people deserve second chances, especially when they've earned them back and gone from the bottom and have, you know, resurrect, literally resurrected their career from the depths. Resurrect, remember, this was a guy who I think Pat Hayden tried to fire and couldn't because Sarkeesian had injured a facility at the point. And everything that happened played out so, so publicly, mm-hmm. you know, from Los Angeles to USC, like to the, to everything that went on, you know, this all played out so publicly and for him to now be back and not only have Nick Saban back in 2016, give his mark and say, you know what? I trust this guy to have the Atlanta Falcons, which despite their, you know, their lack of successes, and Dan Quinn's recent firing, they don't seem to be like a, you know, they're not a joke of a franchise. They're, they're, they're mediocre, I, I'd say, uh, okay. but they're not in, in Texans territory. <laughs> you know, they're kind of a middling, they're a middling okay, franchise. Okay. So for Art Blank and the NFL to give their seal of approval. And then for Nick Saban, once again, not just calling plays in the national championship game, which is a huge, huge deal, especially for Alabama, but, to be the constant play caller, the head of the offense. Nick Saban's a, a overall head coach, but he's a defensive preference guy. Mm-hmm. He gave Steve Sarkeesian all of the offense. And now for the chairman of the board of regents, the president of the university, the vice president of the university, just regarding athletics, all you know, to join that chorus kind of satiates most of the concern that I had about Steve Sarkeesian making sure he was in a good place and able to properly, you know, dispose of his functions as Texas football coach. Yeah, no, that's well said right there. And I think, look, all of that should give you confidence if you're a Texas fan, but the number one thing that should give you confidence if you're a Texas fan about the Steve Sarkeesian hire is all of the reports that Steve Sarkeesian was sort of the de facto coach-in-waiting at Alabama. Like, when Nick Saban is finally going to hang it up, they were ready to hand the keys to the kingdom over to Steve Sarkeesian. We're talking about Alabama, right? Like, uh, that, that, that should give you something. That's the best program in college football right now. It's been that way for a decade and a half. They were willing to make this guy their head coach. They wanted to have this guy be their head coach. So that is the program you're trying to copy. You're trying to emulate. You're trying to turn into that. Obviously, Texas is a long ways away. I don't mean to compare them, but <laughs> look, that would be the pipe dream, right? That's what you want to do if you're Texas is to get to what Alabama's doing. The fact that they wanted this guy to be their head coach after the greatest coach in the history of college football hangs it up, I think is a good sign. And to your point, yeah, I mean, Nick Saban is so meticulous, dude. He is so detail-oriented. He is so passionate about winning, and he cares about every little facet of his program. The fact that he was willing to hire Steve Sarkeesian twice, once for a national championship game, right? He went from an analyst to an offensive coordinator slash play caller in a national championship game, and then obviously bring him back a couple of years later to coordinate his offense uh, during sort of the swan song, or at least nearing the swan song of his head coaching career. I think those things right there should give you some confidence about Steve Sarkeesian. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Joe. Good points. 
So let's move to anything else on that, or are we ready to start talking about those names that uh, hopefully are in that Rolodex and maybe in burnt orange sometimes? No, let's do it. Let's uh, let's hit the assistants, because I think uh, a lot of Longhorn fans have been talking about the importance of this initial staff, and I agree with them. I mean, th- this is kind of the thing. Easy to say in hindsight, but I remember at the time that Charlie Strong and Tom Herman were filling out their initial staffs, I remember having some questions about whether these guys were qualified for these positions, whether they had the experience or, hell, they were good enough as coaches. Forget the experience, just if they had the potential to get the job done at Texas. And, you know, you could argue that uh, screwing up the initial staffs were what did Charlie Strong and Tom Herman in here at Texas. Yeah, I mean, you weren't excited for, uh, you know, Les Kenning and, and Sean Watson like <laughs> I was, or or – or what, what, what are you thinking? Oh, man, yeah. Sean Watson and uh, and Tim Beck, man. They didn't quite move the needle. I mean, any time anytime that you see fans of the previous school where that assistant coached at, when they're happy that their coach is being hired away, they're, like, praising you, like, oh, thank God. Thank God this guy is gone. Thank you, Texas. Anytime you see that, that's kind of a red flag for me, and we saw that with both of the offensive coordinators, Sean Watson and Tim Beck. The other funny thing is, I think there were some Houston fans who might have done the same thing to Herman. That's another topic (laughs) for another day. Uh, Going into assistant coaching hires, obviously uh, with Steve Sarkeesian, probably likely to be a play-calling head coach. Uh, We can discuss the merits of that probably at another time. But if he's going to oversee the offense as well as oversee the rest of the program, his defensive coordinator hire is extremely important. You know, it's basically kind of going to be the reverse of what Sarkeesian's doing at Alabama. Yeah, he'll oversee the he'll oversee the side of the ball that's a little bit different than what his assist, lead assistant uh, is looking at. So, uh, the first defensive coordinator name that everybody seemed to hear and that even inside Texas heard and you know kind of seemed to be sort of the prevailing notion slash exciting hire. Uh, was oh boom, Will Muschamp, do your do, do your job, hmm. and since that's you know those initial you know this is the guy he wants to get those words came out, everything's kind of quieted around the Muschamp front. Maybe that's as a result of you know family stuff. Obviously, there's some interesting stuff going on with his contract at South Carolina, which you know that always turns entertaining and ends up in, in court. So Texas is looking at, you know, some other defensive coordinator guys and the, the, some of the more common names that are associated with it. And you can see you know, much more detail about this on inside Texas, uh, especially inside the humidor. Uh, ones that seem to be kind of in, in the, you know, leading the conversation are Barry Odom from Arkansas, uh, Zach Arnett from Mississippi State, Alabama for Pete, uh, Pete Golding, uh, former Falcons head coach Dan Quinn, and then you know you have to consider Chris Ash. Mm-hmm. So just without without diving into resumes, that's automatically you know just bringing in those are make that's a search. It's not bringing your guys, which there's always going to be some bringing your guys in with with coaching, obviously, and we'll see that in the offensive side of the ball in just a little bit. But with this. You know, that's a guy who, yeah, that's a guy on the opposite side of the ball. These are all guys within his conference. But there's a wide variety of stuff going on. And, you know, it it seems like all these guys are promising uh, young up-and-comers. And And one other name is Tennessee's, I believe Derek Ansley uh, is one of the names that is is starting to 
come out a little bit. Not sure exactly what role, whether he'd be DC or something like that. Uh, but you know, that's, that's one of the names and of course more details over on inside Texas. But I think kind of the thing that stands out is that this is a, like I mentioned, wide variety of places, not just his guy kind of seems like he's trying to do a real search and do his due diligence on a bunch of different guys. Yeah, no doubt, and I agree with you 100%. I think the defensive coordinator hire is the most important hire that Sark's going to make this offseason. You know, I don't know if this is going to be like a Arizona Cardinals situation with Cliff Kingsbury, where literally Cliff Kingsbury does not do a thing with defense, right? He's the head coach, but he really is just an offensive coordinator, and they've got Vance Joseph to run every single aspect of the defense. I don't know if it's going to be that extreme, but... I fully expect uh, Steve Sarkeesian to spend the vast majority of his time uh, focused on the offensive side of the football, and you want that guy to be a play caller, right? I mean, that's his strength. That's that's his best asset. So I assume he's going to be doing that at Texas, and that's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those names are very intriguing, and a lot of those guys have some skins on the wall. And once again, comfort hires, if it is going to be a comfort hire here for Steve Sarkeesian, that should not scare you as much as it scared you with Tom Herman or Charlie Strong, because those guys were coming from Houston, and they were coming from Louisville, not Alabama or the Atlanta Falcons or USC. So, yeah, I mean, the name that really, really excites me there is Dan Quinn, Joe. And that guy, the former coach of the Atlanta Falcons, as you mentioned, we don't need to dive too much into his resume, but before he got to Atlanta, he was the defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom in Seattle. I coached Earl Thomas for a few years up there. I mean, that was one of the best defenses in NFL history. If you get a nickname, that means you're one of the best defenses in NFL history. Uh, Help lead the Seahawks to a Super Bowl as a DC. I mean, that guy knows defense, and he's also such a high-energy, high-character type of dude. And apparently he wants, there's thought that maybe he wants to get back to the college game. So, you know, that means he's going to be energetic and excited to recruit. If he wants to coach in college again, it means he's going to be excited to recruit as well, or at least that part of the job intrigues him a little bit. He's a guy who's coached NFL players, right? Talked about that earlier. If you go to Texas, you want to play on Sundays. Dan Quinn knows what it takes to play on Sundays. Like that guy right there, all of those names are pretty damn good. But, uh, man, if you could find a way to bring Dan Quinn in, uh, I'd be uh, I'd be ecstatic if I'm a Texas fan. So I always hold that, you know, 95% of coaches want to stick at the pinnacle of where they're at. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, that's always going to be the NFL. Well, maybe Dan Quinn's at 5%. I haven't given too much thought from him because that there's always that filter for me. Like these guys like being the NFL. They work their ass off to get to the NFL they'll probably try and stay there. But like you mentioned, there are guys who, you know, come in and say, you know what, I want to go back to the college game. And yeah, of course, uh, one of the biggest problems for Texas on the recruiting trail is <laughs> your favorite word. We hear it all the time, lack of development. And uh, it's kind of hard to shoot holes in that uh, or shoot <laughs> that argument, that, that negative recruiting pitch against an NFL head coach who's just coming in. You know, obviously he'll have time to lay everything out, but at this point, you know, uh, kind of tough. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, who I have a preference for. Um, I think Muschamp obviously would have been a lot of fun to have him back. Yep. And, you know, although he was, may not be have been the, the right head coach at South Carolina, he, seen, he, he gets defense, and he seems to still get modern defense. Heck, remember, they beat Georgia, I think, in Athens a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I – I would, I would, I, I'm still a little bit uh, unsure of, of which defensive coordinator um, I would like to to see here at Texas. Um, 
what about, I think what that should kind of entail is what about Chris Ash? You know, that is, it's not within his network, really. It's, it'd be keeping a, a holdover hire from the previous staff. Not that I'm trying to endorse keeping Chris Ash, but there has to be some benefits, right? Yeah. Especially if you're already choosing to keep one uh, offensive assistant on the other side of the ball. Yeah, no, I'd be pretty cool with keeping Chris Ash, right? I mean, most of those names excite me on that list. You know, Will Muschamp would have been great, as you said. Uh, Lamar, o- no, not Lamar Odom. Uh, Barry Lamar Odom. Odom, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a problem. Now after. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we want that guy here. But uh, Barry Odom, like that, that would have been exciting because that guy's been a head coach just like Will Muschamp. So, uh, you know, they can coach good defenses. But, man, when you start to go down the list a little bit, like Marcus Freeman, who's at Cincinnati, he's obviously done good things. And Notre Dame's interested, apparently, and LSU's interested, apparently. Like, that guy seems to be an up-and-comer. Uh, Zach Arnett, you brought him up. He's at Mississippi State. Did great things this year. He's only 34 years old, though. Like that, you know, maybe he's the next big thing, but he's not that proven yet. Like Chris Ash, to me, out of all of those other candidates that we talk about, excluding Muschamp and Odom and Dan Quinn, let's just throw him off the table because that that might be unrealistic. I don't know at this point. Uh, but Chris Ash, like with what he did with his defense last year, they progressively got better. They tackled much better. And it's obviously you already know what you're getting with him. And he already knows the talent. He already knows the personnel. You wouldn't have to change much, right? I mean, that's that's a huge problem for why Texas has struggled a lot over the last decade. Now, they kind of go hand in hand, right? I mean, Texas has changed coaches and changed coordinators and changed assistants a million times over the last decade. And they're really bad. Now, once again, you're, you're bad because you change coaches or you change coaches because you're bad. Well, it's kind of a combination of both. But it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, in my opinion, to have some stability around. Now, we have seen the unfortunate recurring cycle of defensive coordinators at Texas where, you know, year one's really good, Joe. This guy's the next big thing. And, oh, my God, I hope no one hires this dude away as a head coach. We need to lock him up. We need to make sure he stays. And then year two comes around, and it's not as good. You're starting to see some uh, some chinks in the armor. And uh, year three, things completely fall apart. They completely go off the rails, and the defensive coordinator gets fired. So is it like, well, is Chris Ash two years away from that happening again? And should we just uh, go for another first-year defensive coordinator because that always works? Or is he actually good? I tend to think this dude is a really, really good defensive coach, and I hope he gets some consideration to stick around at Texas. Obviously, Sark's never worked with him, so if he does go a different direction, you'd understand. But, Joe, I I mean, if Chris Ash doesn't stay here, I think somebody would swoop him up in pretty short order. I think he's a a pretty damn good defensive coach. Yeah, I agree. I think we saw, you know, we can look at the stats and see wherever they are, but we saw the game, and, you know, outside of basically Texas Tech, defense wasn't too much the issue this year. Uh, but, you know, that, the thing is about the defensive coordinator hire is that there have been reported names uh, for other roles, um, but it's hard to piece it all together unless you kind of know who that defensive coordinator is and hard to put things in a, you know, put a pin in things unless you know who that defensive coordinator is. But a role that may not require a defensive coordinator uh, or, you know, defensive responsibilities. It's special teams coordinator. And one of the guys who uh, strongly associated reporting, we spoke about this at Inside Texas as well, uh, for a special teams role being plucked from SEC country again, uh, the 2019 football scoop special teams coordinator of the year, 
when he was at Houston under Dana Holgerson, like I said, Texas just plucked him from Lane Kiffin, is Blake Gideon. Uh, seems hmm. that you know people are reporting he is going to be the guy uh, with special teams responsibilities, may add other responsibilities, and you know he will be making his triumphant return to the 40 acres. Uh, obviously, he has that accolade I mentioned. Special teams has <laughs> bounced titles around a bunch in these past few years, whether it's Derek Wareheim or you know I don't I, uh, Andre uh, or uh, forgetting his first name Bullware. Oh, Jay Bullware. Uh, Jay Bullware. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had those responsibilities. Um, the kind of constant was always a quality control guy named Casey Horney and Tom Herman. Uh, as Eric Nolene says, in Inside Texas, special teams kind of comes from the top. And, you know, Cameron Dickers had some fun, uh, but he hasn't been great. You know, they had, Ray, they had Mike, uh, Michael Dixon uh, win the Ray guy since then. You know, punting's been okay. Uh, so special teams has, I don't think it's been neglected, but it hasn't been, you know, even though they call them special forces has not been given that much attention or was not given that much attention by Tom Herman. I think it's nice to have a guy who, you know, (laughs) understands special teams, make his way back to the 40 acres. He's a guy who's going to be obviously motivated, uh, to recruit for his university where he played for four years, uh, puts his name pretty high up in the record books. Um, did a phenomenal, you know, he did a lot of great stuff that people will remember him, but a lot of people will remember him for one play. Uh, I don't think they should do that when looking at his coaching chops. <laughs> and I think this has a, a chance to have a lot of, you know, positive effects here at Texas. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit, right? To take shots at uh, Blake Gideon for that play. And look, I'll. I don't hold real-life grudges, Joe, but sports grudges I hold forever. And more often than not, they're on guys who are on teams that I don't like, right? Teams that my favorite team is playing against. But, uh, you know, Blake Gideon, that thing always, always hurts. So I'd be a little bit hesitant if he was coaching defensive backs, even though he's second all-time in school history in games played. He's actually first all-time in terms of DBU, in terms of games started at Texas with 52. I mean, he did a lot of really, really good things. And, you know, he's a son of a coach. He was described as a coach on the field. And obviously he's been a really, really fast riser in the coaching profession. So, yeah, I mean, it it seems like a good hire, man. It really does. And I haven't dove, delved, whatever, I can speak. About to do a four-hour radio show. This is going to be fun. I haven't looked too much at Blake Gideon's prowess, like what actual accomplishments he's had as a coach. But by all accounts, you know, this guy's done some really good things. And once again, he's gotten better job after better job after better job. And one of the things that Sark needs, in my opinion, on his initial coaching staff, he needs Texas ties. Like, I think Sark is a badass recruiter, and I think he's going to give Texas some national love in terms of recruiting, right? I mean, he's got ties to the West Coast. That's where he's from. Obviously coached at USC for a while. Now he's got ties to the South a little bit and the East a little bit because he's been at Bama the last few years. But he's never coached in the state of Texas, right? And Tom Herman got crushed in state in terms of recruiting this year. Like, as of now, for the class of 2021, the Longhorns only have one of the top 20 players in state signed. They might get two with L.J. Johnson, the number one running back in the state. We'll see how that goes. He has yet to sign. But, like, that is a huge problem. So 
you'd love to get national guys. You'd love to get the best players from everywhere, but you need to control the state. Sark does not have a lot of Texas ties. Blake Gideon, a guy who's from here, a guy who played here, he's got some Texas ties. So I'm okay with bringing in that aspect of Blake Gideon as well. And hopefully, you know, a few more of these assistants that Sark brings in have either coached or played in the state of Texas, which uh, can help get Texas back to the top of recruiting in this state. So we can move to the offensive side of the ball in, in interest of time. We'll kind of keep it at the, the high-level guys. There's always obviously been a bunch of names thrown out for wide receiver and, and tight ends and things like that. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it to the coordinators in the interest of time. And obviously, like I mentioned, Steve Sarkeesian will be the guy uh, probably calling plays. But uh, one of the, the, the names that seems to be, you know, two names actually that seem to be flowing with him from Alabama to Texas is a quarterback coach named Austin Milwee. And then as well, there is uh, offensive AJ Milwee and then offensive line coach Kyle Flood. And those guys will get various titles, but him and Sarkeesian and, and Flood, Milwee, Sarkeesian and Flood, that'll kind of be the offensive brain trust. Um, I, 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 I mean, obviously Kyle Flood, has the resume, um, but there's that Sarkeesian concern you mentioned earlier. How much of it is Alabama Mm -hmm. and how much of it is Kyle Flood? Of course, there's probably a little bit of everything, but, you know, that's something that's remaining to be seen at Texas. But still, that seems like a very safe hire, and though while it is one of the guys on Sarkeesian's staff, one of his boys, there is a lot of stuff on that resume that suggests that, you know, this is the guy who gets – football coaching you know I think he was Greg Schiano's you know either offensive coordinator offensive line coach when he was at his first run uh in Rutgers and made that into a respectable program Mm -hmm. and the other one is AJ Milwee I believe he's currently um I think he's an analyst at Bama and I think Butch Jones may have tried to hire him at South Alabama they have hired him uh Arkansas Uh, State Arkansas State for Butch Jones wrong Sunbelt school uh (laughs) so you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely a, a guy who, you know, you can kind of look north of the Red River for a little bit of inspiration on this one. Lincoln Riley, he's the offensive coordinator. Uh, heck, I think Mike Leach technically is the offensive coordinator uh, and, and the quarterback's guy. But there's always someone there to help out. And that may be this A.J. Milwee. And, you know, yeah, he's young, but he's not calling plays. He's not a full-fledged coordinator. He's a quarterback guy who knows what Sarkeesian wants. And, you know, again, here we are again. Is this a buddy hire right. or a, you know, a going and get the right one? And it leans towards buddy. Um, but like we mentioned, he's not filling the whole staff with that. And this is a guy who, you know, he's not just the product of the Alabama system. He's also, you know, he, I think he has his own uh, successes. I believe it was at Akron. So it's kind of two interesting hires there on the offensive line and quarterbacks, guys who will be, you know, responsible along with Sarkeesian for the offense. Yeah, I don't care who Sark hires if they can replicate the offense or at least come close to replicating the offense that he's had at Alabama the last two years. It doesn't matter who it is, and you know, if you're Sark, once again, like. Uh, I, comfort hires don't scare me that much this time around, especially if they were a part or played some part in what Alabama has done on offense the last couple of seasons. So, yeah, A.J. Milwee's pretty young, but he's been an offensive coordinator before at Akron, like you said. 
Uh, Butch Jones wanted him to be the offensive coordinator at Arkansas State, and a lot of people have described him as Sark's right-hand man, right? So that's uh, you know that should be a good thing if you get that guy because Sark trusts him a lot, and you know if he's helped Sark develop the game plans at Alabama for the last couple of years, once again that should excite you if you're a Texas fan. And then Kyle Flood too. I mean Kyle Flood might be the co-OC along with the offensive line coach title he gets at Texas. I think that's you know more for title and more for a little pay bump too. And like you said, Sark is going to be calling the plays, and this is going to be his offense. So you don't need to worry too much about the offensive coordinator title here at Texas with Sark as the head coach. But yeah, Flood, I mean, he's been a well-respected offensive line coach for a long, long time. No, oh, by the way, he was one of the lead recruiters for the Brockermeyers, and he got them to go to Alabama. He's been described as an ace recruiter, not just because of the Brockermeyers, but just because of the work he's done over the years. He's been a guy who's coached at the college level for a couple of decades. He's been a head coach. He was the head coach at Rutgers after Shiano left. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of skins on the wall, too. And, Joe, this offensive line, I mean, you lose Sam Cosme, right? You lose your All-American, but everybody else is coming back next year. And you know you've got some talent. Now, the class of 2021 was not recruited well by Herb Hand at all. But the couple of previous classes, you know, Texas has some blue-chip guys on the offensive line. And you've got Carrick and Jake Majors, who we saw at the end of the year. Like, if those guys can be coached up a little bit, I think there's reasons for optimism with this offensive line next year. And, and if Kyle Flood can do anything close to what he's done at Bama, then uh, this could be a really, really good group next season. Absolutely. Uh, that's about, I think we hit, all the introductory high marks on, on Sarkeesian. There's going to be, you know, as this staff fills out, as we get closer to signing day, uh, as we get closer, hopefully, to spring ball, uh, we'll have more and more deep dives, including what to, you know, know about his offense. Hopefully, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have to see some, we'll, we will have seen uh, some evidence of his recruiting ability with National Signing Day coming up. And uh, we will. You know, the Sarkeesian era is about to be in full force at Texas. So uh, I'm, I'm really I'm excited to talk about something that isn't stale, <laughs> which I think uh, which Texas was getting. And Sarkeesian mm-hmm. provides a nice little refresh. Any other thoughts or uh, we can get of course, we'll get to Shaka Smart and the number four Longhorns a little bit more. But, uh, you know. Football's king around oh, here, yeah. even if uh, basketball is approaching the top. Yeah, two quick questions here. We'll write up at an hour, so we won't go for much longer. But uh, your thoughts on Stan Drayton coming back? Uh, that's been confirmed. Stan Drayton will stay as the running backs coach at Texas. And then second question is, we got to root for Bama on Monday night, right? Like I know that it feels weird, and it almost feels like you're kissing your sister, but you know, Sark's our next head coach, so we got to be roll tide guys Monday night, don't we? I would much rather see Alabama at another national championship than a six-win team, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of force their way into the conversation and be, yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Ohio State, but uh, they are I don't think they should be there. So, yeah, uh, that's why I kind of want Bama to win. And then, of course, the Sarkeesian aspect. Um, question one, which was Stan Drayton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a savvy move. Uh you know, Stan Drayton, I think a lot of people expected, oh, we got volume. There's a volume recruiter heading to Texas. And that's that's not been Stan Drayton's role. But when you get him a target, with it, with one exception, really, he's been able to go and get his guy. Bijan Robinson, Keontae Ingram, and now he's <laughs> a large part of his retention 
is trying to make sure that L.J. Johnson, a 2021 unsigned, like you mentioned, running back from Cy Fair, ends up in burnt orange. I don't think Texas had much of a chance if they got rid of Drayton. I don't think Drayton retain, being retained turns him into a lock. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy who's shown good progress with his running backs over the years. And like I mentioned, while you'd like maybe a running back coach uh, to be a volume recruiter, once he has his eyes on a target and starts recruiting them, he's done a pretty good job of making sure that they end up in burnt oil. Yeah. So I think it's a savvy move. I don't know if it, it's a, you know, oh, unbelievable, great job, or, you know, oh, this is stupid. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's savvy and, and will help in the short term, and we'll, we'll see what effects it has on the long term of Drayton working with Sarkeesian. Yeah, no, that's well said. I like the move. I'm glad he's staying. Don't mess with Bijan. Well, the only way you mess with him is to give him more carries next year, but, you know, give him a guy he trusts. And, yeah, he's done a good job on the recruiting trail the last couple of years as well. So, savvy move. Agreed. Uh, Anything else? I think we're done. We're out of here. I think that's it. Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we appreciate y'all listening. We appreciate the continued support of the 1-0 podcast. My goodness, are we going to have to change the name of this podcast, Joe, now that we have a new head coach? What do we do here? Shouldn't that always be the goal anyway? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Go 1-0 every single week. Well, we hope we did that. Uh, Thanks to y'all once again. Thanks to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer. Check out the great work Joe does at InsideTexas.com. Follow Joe on Twitter at JosephCook89. And you can listen to the Triple Option with RBKD weekdays from 3 to 7 on the Horn and HornFM.com. And follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Uh, I think that's it, man. Y'all stay safe out there. Y'all stay healthy. Listen to EGAT. I know they recorded an episode as well, but uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, hook them.